Couple thoughts before we get started. We have to figure out what's going on. There's something going on and it's bad. There's a problem. There's something wrong. Something's going on. We have to find out what's going on. I called the mayor. I said, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on is the Truck Show podcast. Yes, Let's hit it, it The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck. Because truck rides with The Truck Show. We have the lifted. We have the lowered end. Truck Show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. Yes, we are. We're back. Yeah, Lightning here. Holman, hello. So this is the Truck Show. I think we need to call our affiliates because we're already, we're running long. I'm telling you. Dude, this is going to be a long one. We need, call Seagate because we need a bigger hard drive. (laughs) I'm telling you right now. Action-packed show full of awesome things and um, I can't even contain it. What's happening here? It's huge. (laughs) It's a huge show. Here's why we are excited. Because we have three really cool guests and I just think the shows keep getting better. And I feel like you guys can feel it, too. On this show, we have Tim Herrick, executive chief engineer, next generation, full-size pickup trucks, and SUVs at General Motors. And what did we learn? The more words that are in your title, the more important that you are. Exactly. And that's a (laughs) mouthful right there. I couldn't even get it out. This guy is- Let me see if I can do it again fast. Hold on. I'm going to actually look at the piece of paper. How fast I can get through it? Tim Herrick, Executive Chief Engineer, Next Generation Full-Size Pickup Trucks and SUVs. Yeah! Micro Machine Man, can I try one here? All right, ready? You ready? Tim Herrick, Executive Chief Engineer, Next Generation Full-Size Pickup Trucks and SUVs. That was good, except you didn't enunciate. Oh, Jesus. So before we get to Tim, we can barely contain ourselves. We're going to go through some email, and you guys blew up our inbox, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's... uh, Let's hit it. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. We email. That's right. First email comes from Ray. Episode 5 was another great one. Loved all of it. Recommended it to a friend and sent him the link. Wow, that's very cool. Thank you, Ray. Keep the intros and theme songs the way you want them. It's your show, and that's why we listen to you. It's uniquely you, while being very informative and entertaining. Dude, thank Dude, you. Awesome. Ray. Yeah, that's very cool. He says, I don't use iTunes, but I hope my vote still counts. Five stars and <laughs> keep up the great work. You Absolutely. You know what? If you subscribe, whether it's through Spotify or through Google Play or iTunes, we don't care. It's still it, it yeah, counts the same. Just please subscribe. And then uh, if you are on iTunes, please give us that five-star review. We're now up to uh, 50 reviews, and you guys have been awesome leaving feedback. We're trying to get into the new and noteworthy or what's hot on uh, the podcast page on iTunes. And the way they do that is through your ratings and reviews. So we love... You know, if you guys could take a few minutes, the ones that have done it, kick ass. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. This one's going to be tough. It's in like six-point type. Um, Matthew writes, hello, I love your podcast. I like how you have fun and you're informative at the same time and your guests are great. I'm a truck guy and my first truck was a Toyota Tacoma. Then I saved up some money and bought a Ram 2500. I put on new rims and a small lift kit. But one of my favorite things to do is work on trucks. About a year ago, I bought an S10 for 300 bucks and I fixed it up and then I sold it. 
I also love to work on my friends' trucks. I'm going to trade school in Florida to learn how to work on trucks and cars, diesel to gas. And I want to learn from you and any of your guests speaking how somebody could get into the business of building trucks. Wow. It's a big passion for me, and I'd love to make it a job someday. Keep doing what you guys are doing. Uh, wow, super cool, yeah, Matthew. That's awesome. Thank you for writing in. Here's the thing. I This would be my suggestion for a guy who just recently got into the industry. I was in radio. You've been, Holman, you've been in this for forever. For 20 but, years. But yeah. I, from, from an out, kind of an outsider's perspective, I would say get a job if, or, or an internship at the most reputable shop in your community. Or dealership. Take vocational training. It sounds like he's right. doing the right thing, right? You just want to get that experience. And if you, you know, I know so many people that got into owning their shop by starting at a dealership being trained, dealership training and tools, you know, uh, cutting their teeth on that and then doing side jobs. And, you know, and what's cool about that is so many people that I know started their business, came out of their side job. So as soon as they got too busy on their side jobs to sustain their dealership or their shop day job, they went out on their own. One of my friends, Mel Wade, owns Offroad Evolution here in Fullerton. He's got a huge following in the Jeep and 4x4 community. He was a Saturn dealership mechanic. Really? Yeah. He decided one day, you know, I don't want to work for somebody else. I want to do it on my own. He owns a massive business. Did you know that Mel is King Shock's number one uh, customer now? What? Who put who in the what yeah. now? And that's it's a guy that started out at a Saturn dealership, has a huge social following, has a shop that's renowned all over the world, is a huge customer of one of the best names in Shocks, for example. And it all started from him being a mechanic and learning the ropes and then doing side jobs and deciding... I want to go start on my own. So he don't, might, don't let anybody ever tell you you can't because that guy was fixing Saturns. Exactly. You know, I mean, we <laughs> sh- might even be cool to have him on because he was a fabricator and a welder. He started with a one man shop and has grown it to a bunch of employees and runs Evo Manufacturing. It's his it family business. It sounds like you're describing a Fabtech or a lot of these yeah. brands that started in garages. Well, exactly. the, the bottom line is you need experience. So there's yes. no way to circumvent experience. That is what I can tell you right now, is that this industry will smoke you out in a heartbeat if you don't know what you're talking about. You need about. to earn it. You got to earn it. Yeah. And, 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 and Listen, you're young, Matthew, and you you want some kind of a magic bullet, like you can just go right up the ladder really fast, and I, there isn't. In automotive, you got to earn your stripes. I, that I know for sure. Commitment, loyalty, expertise will all pay off. I got one here from Trevor. Just picked up the podcast. I first heard about it from my following of Lightning and B-Team. Longtime oh, nice. fan of them. Miss you, Light, but glad you followed your dream. That's that's pretty that's, awesome. That's very cool. Thank you. So he says, then I saw Freiburger's post on Instagram about his interview, and I had to listen. So I'm also a huge fan of so I'm also a huge fan of Dirt Every Day and Roadkill, plus the spinoffs. Lastly, you had David and Fred on. We need a full Payway episode. So for those of you who don't know, Rick Payway, <laughs> the world's greatest Jeep guru, journalist, like, the end-all, be-all. We've talked about payaway. We should have him on. I could listen to his stories for a long time. I was working at a tiny 4x4 shop in Thousand Oaks as a 19 or 20-year-old. I remember payaway just showing up one day, and my jaw dropped as I realized this was the guy I'd been reading in four-wheel and off-road for all these years. He's now the uh, editor of JP Magazine. He wound up giving me a pair of XJ seats from his own stash for my own Jeep. Such a cool guy and loved meeting him. I'll keep listening. Thanks for reading my long-winded email. Thanks, Trevor. Nice. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. And then I've got another one here. Which I didn't even tell you about this one, Lightning, because yeah. this is this is super cool. Um, as we talked about in several episodes, you and I met over 20 years ago at a Real Big Fish in-store appearance at what was called a Wow Store, which was a mix of Tower Records and the Good Guys in Long Beach, California. Rick writes, and I don't know if I know Rick because his name's really familiar. I'm not mm-hmm. sure where to place him, but he says 
Guys, I'm listening to episode six and it's great. I've listened to all of them thus far. I've been a listener of Lightning since the early 90s on K-Rock. I used to work at the Good Guys Tower Record collaboration <laughs> <laughs> called the Wow Store and remember that Real Big Fish concert. That's funny that you guys met there. I worked in the car audio department building stereo systems for customers, and I did some installing too. True fact about that store was they were open 365 days a year from 8 a.m. to 12 midnight because those were Tower Records requirements when they opened the three WOW stores in the city of Long Beach, Laguna Hills, and Las Vegas. As an employee, it sucked ass because all you got late night were drunk people waiting for the movies, which were next door. Yeah, that's true, true story. Yeah. AMC yep. right there, yep. Or people who just would ask a million questions and never buy anything. Nonetheless, keep up the show. I'd love to hear about some of your own cars and trucks and what you guys are working on. I currently own a Ram 2500 diesel and would love to hear some pros and cons about deleting. I know it's not California emissions legal, but you do have 20 countries worth of listeners, so you'd be giving <laughs> advice to everybody but California. Ha ha. Keep up the show. Maybe even do a listener meetup or truck show down the line. Uh, Richard. A lot of, well, here's the thing. Dude, it's hey, awesome. That's super cool. And then just in our email batch, we had two Ram owners. Yeah, right? So, yeah, man, the, the Ram is going well, strong. The, the diesel guys keep emailing and they're asking us, hey, can you do more diesel stuff? So, we're going to have a diesel episode here in the next, uh, maybe uh, our next episode or the one after. We're getting it set up right now. So, I think you guys will be impressed. All you diesel fans out there, we're coming for you. We got the <laughs> we're experts. Listening. We got the experts. Yeah, yeah. The authorities in the yeah. field for sure. I just want you to know that I have a very strong suspicion that this was an inside job. How do you do what you do? You're the man with the plan and an inside job. And now we present for you someone who's done great things in the automotive industry. This is the inside job. It's so fun. Why are we both nervous? <laughs> hey, this could be fun. How you guys doing? It's Tim. Hey, it's Tim Harris. Are you laughing? What's we're, happening? We were talking about you, how nervous we both were to have such a big, important dude on uh, on our little oh, stupid yeah. podcast. We've been uh, doing no, that. Tim, we've been doing, I think this is our seventh one so far. Is that right, Holman? Yeah, this is number seven. Number seven. And we have not been nervous. Not one nope. second. But I was, I'm not, no joke, Tim, like... Maybe 45 seconds ago, we had this awkward pause where we stared into each yeah. other's eyes, and we both felt, like, super nervous. We're like, oh, okay. And then we're like, can we turn the Trudge AC on? on? Yeah. It's really hot in here. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, thanks. But uh, I do that at every test we run. I'm not surprised. Yeah, so, yeah. so obviously, uh, this is kind of a big deal. I mean, uh, executive chief engineer over the sure. next generation full-size trucks and SUVs. So that's basically half-tons, heavy duties, and body-on-frame SUVs, correct? Yes. For both? all the next generation stuff that we're coming out with. So yeah. that's uh, the T1 platform. Yeah, that's the internal name. So, yes. You have a very... We were talking about this in the last show, um, gearing up for this. You have what seems like a... Uh, one of those jobs where you have two giant iron dumbbells on each shoulder, you know, where like the weight of the world to us, to, you know, yeah. to, to, to layman, like how would you even operate with, with the weight of the world on your shoulders to come up with the next greatest truck time and time again? You know, something I coined a, a while back, uh, the first full-size truck that I had done at that time was a Tahoe is, you know, we're really standing on the shoulders of giants. We've got a great company a lot of heritage, a hundred years of doing Chevy trucks. And that that's great. We have great peers, great marketing guys, great finance guys, great quality teams. So, you know, you, you just really, you get a great team that's around you and you, you trust them and, and go with them. You, Tim, you're a lifer with 
with General Motors. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 and are, yeah. There, are there that many of guys like you? For instance, you started in, what, 83 right out of college, correct? And then you went on to get your yes. MBA later. But you were right out of college. I started in radio while in college. And Holman, you were in working in publishing. Well, you didn't go to college, did you? Yeah, I did. Did you? Yeah, my degree is in criminal justice. <laughs> criminal justice? <laughs> yeah, no, like, my, what? Hey, I, my uh, first college roommate was in criminal justice. See? Yeah, my... my used to pull me over all the time. And it, is expl- <laughs> it explains why you profile me all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, no, I am not a, uh, a equal in this conversation of the uh, guy got the degree for the job he ended up at. I'm not that right, guy. I'm not that guy. I sure. had a lot of weird, uh, it's a cutest route to how I got here, right. so we'll just, we'll move on from there. So, but Tim, do you, when you started back in 83, you didn't see yourself, uh, you know, I'm going to rise to the ranks, I would assume, right? You're like, this is a job, it's something I want to do, but like, could you have foreseen where you and the company would be one day? No, I'm probably the luckiest man in show business, quite frankly, uh, you know, coming from a a uh, humble background, you know, growing up in Madison, Wisconsin, you know, my dad owned a heating and air conditioning business and, you know, I just wanted to get out of college, get my degree and go do really cool stuff. And at the time it was 83. If you remember back that far, the economy wasn't that great. You know, jobs weren't super plentiful, but I got really lucky one day and got a call from the Janesville assembly plant and uh, went down for an interview and got lucky enough to get the job and, Moved around a few times within the company. I've been in Janesville, Wisconsin. I've been in Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana. Actually started that plant uh, where we're going to build the new Silverado. Where uh, There's a lot of my friends down there that we built that plant and started it up. Was down there when there's dirt on the floor. Wow. Then I, then I moved. To, then we went from dirt on the floor to... 950 trucks on two shifts. Well, and you can eat off the so floor was, of that plant now, too. I mean, it's it's fully oh, modern it's beautiful. and gorgeous. Yeah. I'm kind of High, curious. Highest quality plant in North America, actually in the world. I mean, that's got to be a sense of pride that you were on the ground floor of that. But one thing I'm really curious about, obviously, you've come up through the ranks and, and, and your job's gotten more important as your career's progressed. I'm kind of curious. What was the very first widget or product or part of a truck that you designed that maybe somebody could put their hand on and go, this was Tim's first attempt at GM of, of, you know, part of the product development process. That's what I'm curious about. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. And, you know, I don't know if I've ever had it asked quite that way, but I, I, I think I got the, I think I got the answer. Is it, know. is it, is it the, the glove box handle? On a <laughs> <set> no, <bottom? laughs> no it, I was, I was always known for, uh, when things were messed up, I'd like to, that's when, I'd uh, kind of get involved, the fixer. jump in and help out. Yeah. And uh, we had a program back in the 90s where, remember the, the Blazer and we had Suburbans and, and Blazers. Yep. We didn't have Tahoe. No Tahoe's, only two-door and Blazers at the time. GMT correct. 700s? Uh, those were probably, those were before 800s, so we called them four. 400s, yeah, okay. Yeah, so going in, well, you're good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, he knows his models. I know yeah, a few things. Sure. Yes, you right? do. <laughs> so I guess the breakthrough moment or the part that I think back to is that we we built the first Tahoe out of a Suburban. And we cut a Suburban down. I got the general arrangement drawings. Uh, got some pictures, actually, that uh, we could send you guys of the first one that was ever built. With, oh, my God. We'd uh, love to put that on our tonight. socials. Yeah. And so we uh, took this... Suburban and we cut it down. Uh, you know, we took so we took you know twelve inches, eight inches here, twelve inches there out of it. Built a second door, squash it all down, put seats in it, uh, built it all up, and actually took uh, driving it. It 
everybody in our company drove it all the way to the CEO. <laughs> and it was kind of the pride and joy of, hey, you know, how do we go fast? It was one of our first really go fast programs. And we put that on the road in uh, in no time. So, so I think that was uh, maybe the tipping point or one moment. There's just probably many. That one I really remember. But that was your baby, right? Soup to nuts? Yeah. Wow. And yeah, I remember the, that I one. Was, uh, when I that... was the lead development engineer at the time, and no one wanted to touch it. And I remember going to my supervisor, because everybody's like, I can't affect the program because it's so quick, and we're not going to be able to do stuff, and you know, it's just going to be heat and beat and get it out. And, and so nobody wanted to take it. My boss kind of came to me and said, well, what do you think? And I said, I'll do it. If I have full responsibility for all of it from a from a performance standpoint and a development standpoint out at Milford, and he really didn't have a choice, he said yes, and and uh, so it was it was a blast. Tim, did you feel like that was a startup? Like you were like a Silicon Valley startup when you did that program and built that car? I mean, did you have that scrappy mentality, or did you feel like you oh, were up I, against the man? Yeah. Funny, I was uh, texting one of my chiefs the other day. We were up against something, and I. I said, we're going to double down on this. And I, I sent, him, sent him a picture of myself. I was on the elliptical and had this do-rag on and stuff. And I sent a weird eye photo to him. And I said, hey, we're going to get at this. And they call me Scrappy. Yeah. So funny you mentioned that. <laughs> but yeah, no, kind of that Scrappy mentality. I don't know if the, uh, you know, startup, uh, the truck guys at uh, General Motors have always done more with less. And... You know, we've, we were all, always prided ourselves on having uh, the ability to overcome any obstacle to, like I said, do more with less. And it really, it kind of comes from my dad. Uh, growing up, my dad owned a company and and uh, I would work for him in the summers and uh, and and uh, just he, he would always, you know, we wouldn't have the right tool or the right stuff and he, we would just make do with what we had. And so he just gave me that, that work ethic and, hey, we, we never hired anything out. If something broke at the house, we were the first ones to take a, take a whack and, and at he, it. And heating so. and air, I mean, that's something that – it's a puzzle, right? So that's something that you're constantly sure. trying to figure out what the challenge is or the obstacle in overcoming it. And It's more fixing than building. Oh, yeah. there's yeah. A, Well, later on, there's a lot yeah. of fixing. But I remember yeah. that GMT 400 uh, Tahoe, and what was cool about it was it looked like a Suburban. But it was way shorter. The rear glass from the C pillar to the D pillar was super short. And I remember the yep. rear door was different because you cut into the fender well or the wheel well on that. And yep. so yep. it was just, it was like this this sort of, I think they called it the baby suburban at the time before it really had its name in the spy photos and stuff. And it was a big deal. Nobody had come out with sort of the, you know, they're doing it with minivans, right? They're, they're taking shorter minivans and doing extended length. But nobody was taking something long and making it shorter. And I think that's really where the full-size uh, SUV revolution sort of started, right? Because it suddenly made yeah. these vehicles garageable and maneuverable in the city with all the capability that you would have from your Suburban for those who didn't need a third row and all the cargo room. So, Tim, where did that come yeah. from? Where, what was the impetus of that idea? Like, was it The sales were falling down on the Blazer, and uh, it wasn't getting, getting really propped up. Uh, the market research came back and said, hey, they're looking for you know, something a little bit smaller than a uh, Suburban, and uh, they wanted to have four doors. And so that's where we built that up. And maybe there's a couple other things outside you hadn't heard of that you're going to hear them here maybe first. Uh, you know, the first one didn't have rear AC in it. 
and the first ones didn't have a third row seat. We oh, developed no the program, right? And uh, and so when we got into the prototype phase and and started where we could put them on the road, uh, Rick Wagner took one home, and his wife told him, you know, that'd be I'd really like to have one of these, but it'd be nice if it had a third row seat. So that was kind of the phase two of the Tahoe development was to put a third row seat in it real fast. So that's kind More of people all, than, uh, than cargo at that point, right? I mean, that became the family truckster yeah. for so many people. What was the timeline yeah. like put, putting that together? You know, it was, uh, it was quick. It was, uh, I think at the time it was about a 24 month program wow. where, wow. Where that's fast that's for the car was, world. Yeah. Where we wanted to really go fast and, and meet, meet a market demand. And then, you know, if you think about it, you know, kind of the rest is history. We've grown from there to upwards of 80% of that market with the Tahoe, with the Suburban, with the Yukon, with the Yukon XL. Don't forget the Avalanche, uh, right? You know, I, so, was, uh, I was, that, that was my first, uh, that was my first chief job, the Avalanche. So I have a story about the Avalanche that I have to ask you because I've been a journalist, automotive journalist for almost 20 years now. And if you remember, the 2007 Avalanche won four-wheelers, four-by-four of the year. And the th- yes. And the thing we loved about the Avalanche is it was basically a suburban A with a bed, but also coil springs in the back. So it rode awesome. And it was all the things yep. you love about the suburban with a shorter wheelbase than the crew cab pickup truck with coil springs. Road great. And uh, there's one story about the avalanche that I remember from our testing. And I've always said, you know what? If I meet the right person, I'm going to ask the questions. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. We got a flat tire. And so we pulled the spare out and put the spare on the the avalanche during our off-road testing. The spare was a forged aluminum five-spoke wheel that was absolutely gorgeous way better than the cast aluminum wheels that were on our test here. And we're like, hey, can we get four spare wheels to put on our avalanche? Because it looks badass. So I'm kind of curious, um, why is such a pretty wheel for the uh, spare, but uh, but not on the uh, on the outside of the vehicle? Well, I'm going to give you give away a trade secret. You guys ready? All right, we're ready. Uh, it's for mass savings to put it in the right test weight class. You would put, you know, oh. we pick and choose aluminum spares versus versus others and that was one that we had handy at the time that we could put on it to to make it fit into the right mass which is awesome but i mean we put it was black it was powder coated painted black it was a five spoke we put it on we're like man this thing really looks good on the avalanche (laughs) so i'll never forget that story did you actually did you go on a hunt to try and find three more no but i think we talked about the story how we said we got a flat and we really liked the uh the spare wheel better than the uh, rest of the wheels but it ended up being it was the z71 that one and very capable back in the the you know mid two thousands. So there's always a soft spot yeah. for avalanche. It's a little cool. It's, it's cool. Sure, that might have that might have been my second breakthrough moment. Yeah, because I was the I was the chief on that. I came out of uh, Arlington, Texas, up to uh, up to Michigan, and moved my family back up. And uh, that was the that was the first job as a chief. Now, Tim, so, question, something stuck out when you were t- talking a minute ago that you were saying that you kind of felt like the, uh, you didn't use the term underdog, was it? You felt like you were scrappy. That division, and, and we think of the truck division at General Motors as being the behemoth, the the profit center of the company. So sure. is that not it, true? It's, it's, or it is, No, it is true. It's true. You know, when I pick up the phone now and call somebody, and say I need some help on this. They all come run it. <laughs> you know, back back then at the time, you know, uh, you know how much volume we were having. Trucks have really gotten popular over the last 
oh. 10, 15 Don't we know it? We started so. a podcast about it. <laughs> right, right, right. So, it, right. so that's exactly. not so that's not the case, Tim. You know, back in, no, in the eighties no, no. and nineties, it wasn't it wasn't the deal. No, it's a it's a you know a sixty five billion dollar business for us now at GM. And, uh, that's sixty five football stadiums, basically. So, so the business big, you're responsible. Yeah, the business that you're responsible for at General Motors is sixty five NFL stadiums worth. Yeah, I get, uh, <laughs> oh I get all the time walking down, walking down the hall. Make make sure you you know this goes well because it's my retirement. Yeah, don't don't so. mess it up. Do you have a gold plated urinal in your executive bathroom? <laughs> no, I, no, I guess. You, and you kind of mentioned it, uh, underdog piece of it. Uh, you know, coming from uh, a, a great family in in uh, you know Madison, uh, a big town in Wisconsin, but a small town kind of in general. Going to a smaller university, University of Wisconsin Platteville, getting onto a uh, a world stage at GM and and competing. So I always kind of walk around a little bit with, uh, uh, hey, let me go get a Platteville grad to get that done for you, or uh, you know, and and competing and working hard with everybody to to you know, you know kind of prove that that you deserve to be there. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you were you know, like a Silicon Valley startup where they explode and they have an IPO and they are flush with cash and, and they can do anything they want. Slow you, burn. You, you had a slow rise that was built on bedrock. Yeah. And, and you know, rising through the ranks, you could probably do everyone's job that worked under you. And so that gives you a real grounding that a lot of people probably don't have. And it sounds like your division was built on guys like you. Yeah, I got trained by I got trained by the best. You know, I got a little piece of all the great people that that poured uh, poured into me uh, leadership, and really really appreciate that. In fact, I uh, uh, Sean, when I saw you at uh, the North American Auto Show, yeah, uh, I called some of my old chiefs and some of my old uh, uh, mentors and thanked them. And uh, wow, actually, I, one guy get kind of emotional. I just said, you know, hey, thank you for preparing me for this moment and and to, to lead and it's not just me so well you have a great a, team to, to, to lead a great team yeah yeah we've got the best of the best and to thank you for showing me how to lead a great team and that uh you know you always gotta stand on the shoulders of giants and then tell them and recognize them because you know they they did they did great things to get us here Tim, where do you suppose, this is lightning speaking, where do you suppose that that skill set came from, the management side? Because you've got artists that are artists, then you have businessmen that are oftentimes very shrewd, but you seem to be a hybrid of that. You're you're grounded, You, you great managerial skills. Where did that come Is it college or just, is that again your father? Uh, I think with my my dad, uh, it's, it's all of those. You know, I, I got trained well it's in college. Um, I, I got my MBA from Wayne State. They they helped me quite a bit, too. But it's learning from it's learning from the best, whether they're the chief engineers of how they put vehicles together, or if it's uh, your dad that you watched him go through. That he started a business when I was uh, started business when I was six years old. My my sisters were in high school. I was six. He took the guts to start up a business. You know, he went through. The seventies where it was boom and then a little and then bust. You remember seventy four and the and all that. And so here's the story. He he built a business that that he could flex. He could go from building uh air conditioning and heating shopping uh centers, malls, to where he could do residences 
and he just he just did whatever he had to do to flex between the two of them. Gotcha. And he showed me that flexibility to go from a from a work truck to a Denali, from a you know from a work truck to a high country uh, suburban. I'm not going to lie. I like I like Denali. the Denali a lot. Yeah, yeah, Denali's <laughs> yeah. Nice. Denali's Work trucks are cool, you know, but I've been spoiled by Tim's products over the last uh, many many sure. years. <laughs> I guess if I could, just the last thing. My dad, I, he always bought GMCs, and I just remember he bought them from Meyer GMC in in Madison, and he always I always asked him, Dad, why do you buy those? He said, because they're a great truck, and they've always been uh, tried and true for me, and always have uh, come through. So that that kind of I got the uh, I've got GM in my blood and, and, uh, the beginnings with the, with the GMC and that's what he would buy. So it's interesting. I wanted to talk about loyalty and, and this dovetails really nicely into that. You know, uh, the GM brands have, I think more built in loyalty, customer loyalty than any of the, the imports, any, I find young people, um, they don't treat, say for example, a Honda or something the same way they do a Chevy or a GMC, they don't have that passion. They don't typically tattoo, you know, the H on their, you know, on their inner arm. They'll have the bow tie. With this this brand loyalty that is so deep in so many people, how does that affect your designs of new vehicles moving forward? Do you take take any of that into account? Well, absolutely. You know, we had uh, for the for the Silverado and for the Sierra and for the T1 architecture. Uh, you know, we. Uh, but for the light duty pickup trucks, we had 7,000 respondents that came and talked to us. We had a multitude of clinics, Los Angeles, Dallas, uh, Denver, uh, you know, ad hoc ones just walking around and talking to people. But 7,000 respondents uh, that we talked to about the loyalty. What do you love about the brand? So whether it's Chevy or GMC and and uh, what and, and stay true to that. And then where do you see it going in the future? What could suit more of your needs? Well, let's talk about that. So so T1, which is the 2019 uh, Chevy Silverado and GMC Sierra, um, was revealed. And you and I saw each other uh, at the Silverado reveal back in Detroit. And yeah. there's a ton of really interesting things on the new truck. And we talked about, uh, you know, at the reveal, composite rear leaf springs, the air curtains that go around the front bumper, the carbon fiber bed that's in the uh, GMC Sierra Denali. There's a ton of future tech. I'm kind of curious, which of those things were sort of the priority or were maybe the aha moment for the team where you're like, this is a feature that we are taking to the future with this program, and we're going to future-proof our trucks by having this feature set. What were some of those? And maybe explain some of the background of those really uh, class-leading and forward-thinking features that are on the T1. The first one that comes to mind it is is uh, a great one for us. It's uh, the multi pro tailgate, multi pro Which is gate. awesome. We you talked know? about this a couple episodes yeah. ago. We want definitely want the backstory on that. I, it's bizarre because this t- Tim, this is a this is breathtaking. <laughs> I mean, for a truck guy, yeah. it is yeah. it is it's a transformer. It's straight out of the movies, and all of it is yeah. so handy and so utilitarian. Anyway, go ahead, explain. Yeah, no, it, 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 uh, in fact, I. Uh, couple of guys i've i've run with the same guy for 30 years and he was a chassis uh, manager did frames for us and he's retired we still get together in another retiree and so they saw me come to the gym the other day with the 
with, with the new Sierra, with the Denali, and they drove up. And the first thing they said is like, get out. We want to see the tailgate. <laughs> <laughs> and they just thought, this thing's so cool. And uh, they just kind of oohed and odd like what you guys were talking about. And it kind of started like this. It was, you know, kind of a, if you want to call it a Shark Tank innovation within the company. This was all internal to GM. Wow. We had um, we had a technician, Jim Gobart, that uh, came up with an idea right out of the right out of the garages in Mil- in uh, excuse me in Warren, where uh, they were talking about innovation and what they wanted to do at the back end of the truck, and they came and they showed that they showed it to us, uh, not in its latest form, but in a in a real raw form where the gate actually split in half. So we looked at that like that is really cool. And how'd you guys think of this? Like, hey, no, we just kind of talked about. And the, these are the guys again, like my dad, that could with their hands and build with their hands and 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 envision it and then make it come to life. And when they showed that to us, we're just like, oh, I gotta have one of those. Then we looked at how it changed to the U-shaped gate. It is with a gate within a gate uh, for durability, for customer effectiveness. You know, it's just uh, a great uh, a great design. And so then we. We went forward with that, and then we actually uh, we, we got really kind of fond of it. So what we did is we didn't want anybody else to hear about it. So we got the patents in quietly, put those in, but internally we called it a Badger Gate. And I told you where <laughs> I was from. So one of my one of my friends in the in the industry uh, named it a Badger Gate. We called it that, and then we kept tight wraps on it to the point where. Um, I could see any emails going in or out or around the company that would mention Badger Gate or whatever else we would call it internally. And so we made sure we kept a tight wrap because so, nobody really heard about it before you guys saw it. So, but how, how did you pull that off, Tim? Because, like, Apple can't even keep the new iPhone under wraps. They're factory. I, yeah, that, I, read, I, read that, I read that article this weekend, you know, that was, uh, that was interesting. Um, we, we talked to everybody about it. We have... We have uh, team meetings on a regular basis. Uh, this is technology that we want to take of what's rightfully ours from uh, from our competitors, and we want to make sure this doesn't get out. And they're really true to that. And the other part of it, we knew when the where the mass data moved to and who it went to. NDA signed. A, a lot of effort went into that. One of the things that was a surprise for a lot of people too was the in-house straight six three-liter diesel. And that was, yeah, you know, cool. normally we, we hear about all that stuff. And there were a few rumblings here and there, but nothing concrete. I don't think anybody was really expecting that to be a straight six, which, by the way, is one of the best engine configurations known to man. And to yeah. do it entirely in-house. The first question I asked Nick is, I go, whose diesel is that? And Nick looked at me and goes, that's ours. And I'm like, all of it? <laughs> He's like, yeah. So maybe talk yeah. through the thought process. Obviously, EcoDiesel Ram's been out for a while. The F-150 is coming out with their diesel this year. And so it's it's obviously a place you have to be in the half-ton market now. But talk to me a little bit about it from the GM truck consumer perspective. And then why did you guys choose a three-liter and, and a sh- clean sheet design in-house as well? You know, we know diesels. We have a great diesel in our heavy-duty truck. We have uh, other diesels in our cars. It's something that uh, we have great competency in. So doing it internally is a, an easy decision for us. You know, that that's one. Uh, two, uh, a six, a straight six, they're just naturally balanced, right? Yep. You don't have to 
with uh, high compression and uh, all the torque and horsepower you get, you want a naturally balanced uh, engine. And what is that, that torque can... and horsepower, uh, Tim? <laughs> um, we're not discussing really any of the torque, horsepower, fuel economy. Oh. Uh, we'll just go with we're not going to be outdone by anybody. Uh, oh. So it, we're just, you know, we're in good shape. But, uh, you know, just the, the balance piece of it. <laughs> Spoken and, like a PR guy on the line. <laughs> yeah. And the balance piece of it and, you know, the technology that we put on. Then put a 10-speed transmission behind it. Wow. So to have uh, uh, great drivability, great horsepower. Torque. Yeah, it is a sweet trans. Can't wait for you guys to drive it. And uh, and just that, that whole package. And also from the customers have been asking about it. It's a natural extension for heavy-duty guys to come down to a light-duty and have a diesel, uh, I think they're becoming more accepted. And then I've I've got a question, too. You guys have doubled down on your off-road ability. You've got the Z71, the, the Trail Boss. You just released the AT4 Sierra. I noticed that on the Sierra that you guys have the Rancho shocks, but instead of the typical Tenneco um, twin-tube shocks, you're actually using their monotube version, which is, which is an awesome upgrade over sort of what some of the off-road packages have had where they're more of a, a sticker on a shock and not a lot of performance. Um, I think that's awesome. I'm curious, are we going to see Multimatics, which are on the Colorado ZR2, trickle up into the into the big trucks, um, or is this the best off-road package we're going to see? I think you have to wait and see. Um, <laughs> I'm not making any product announcements. That's not uh, fair. I tried. I tried you lightning. Know, yeah, big, I tried. You know, rather than just the shock package and, and a lot of the team wants to talk about that the fundamental architecture of the truck putting a two-inch lift kit in at the beginning of the program was one of the other uh smart things that we did and uh you know talked about what the customers wanted and making that you know a factory option making it a uh something that that the customers can get get better approach and departure angles uh more ground clearance so architecturally, starting from there is a, a great place to start. That you don't have to have, make any excuses. So you can have a these trucks lifted, and and the you got the right prop shaft angles, the right half shaft angles. You got the right durability on the pieces. It's not an aftermarket lift kit. Well, look look at all the special and niche packages now too, right? And Tim, you guys have blacked out wheels and midnight edition, and you have special power, and you have lift kits, and and there's things that. I know are you know more design and marketing, but as the chief engineer, you have to build the ability to give those guys a solid foundation and really a blank you know palette to be able to to build yeah. those vehicles off of. Yeah, I can I can remember where I was standing when I said we're going to do this, and then uh, walking away and a half hour later going like, what the heck did I just do? Cause <laughs> this for a while, I do that every and, day. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know and the engineers just came back and. We're, we're really forceful to say, hey, we can do this. Let's let's think about this up front, and we'll architecturally put it in there. And we just we didn't tiptoe up to it. We we went uh, we dove right into the deep end with it. I I wanted to bring up uh, last week. We knew uh, you were coming on, and and thank you again. You're so gracious for for coming on the show. Um, I think part of what the Truck Show podcast does so well is we give access to the truck consumer, to people they may never cross in their lives or their paths. And I think really hearing about innovation and hearing about how trucks come to life is kind of a special thing for a lot of people. So we asked some uh, listeners to send us some emails, and I've, 
I've got an interesting one here from uh, Trevor, uh, looks like a Nemoro. And he says, I'm a big GM fan, especially trucks. I respect Fords and Dodges, but they're just something special about GM to me. Um, I have some questions. My personal favorite platform is the GMT 9, or excuse me, GMT 800. To me, it's the perfect blend of quality assembly, luxury options with old school mechanical function and workability. Not too many computers to worry about for long-term serviceability. My question is, if you had to pick your favorite platform other than the GMT, the new T1, uh, which would it be and why? And then he follows up that question. He says, you know, how do you see the future of the used truck market um, continuing? Because right now you can buy a 10 or 15 or 20-year-old truck and work on it. But with the new L5P, um, you know, heavy duties that are currently coming out with computers, he wants to know, do you think the shade tree, do it yourself, or will we be able to keep those models going when they're 20 years old? That's a long question. I know, I know. We have a really wordy <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, no, very smart. I guess the the first one he brings up a good point on the on the 800, and I don't know if it's because of the you know the workability and the craftsmanship and the the perfect blend between technology and and being able to do it. It, it for me it was I was a design responsible engineer. We call them DRE on that platform. I did all the bumpers, front and rear bumpers on on that pickup truck and on the SUVs that came off of that too. And so that one holds a holds a special you know, place in my heart. I, I think the the GMT 900. I was the that was my first chief job, uh, and I was the full architect on it. That was also a great blend. So I, I got a, a great truck. The know, 900s are awesome. I mean, both of those are. It, it was yeah. I, I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to pick one, Greg. Cause I'm gonna, <laughs> just gonna it's like choosing you your know, children, right? Like yeah. which kid is your favorite? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, every generation has stood on the shoulders of the last generation. And up the bar, whether it's fuel economy, uh, dependability, just, you know, learning and growing, kind of like almost getting older. You know, there's some things I'm better at now than I was when I was younger. I bet you're better at mountain biking than I am. I see that uh, (laughs) you you love to mountain bike and you go to Moab. And I was telling uh, Lightning before the show that uh, I'd love to go mountain biking with you sometime, but... um, uh, I broke my elbow in Moab mountain biking a few years ago, so I just I just went there for uh, Easter Jeep Safari a few weeks ago and conquered a uh, porcupine rim on my bike. So I feel pretty oh, good I about love that. Porcupine rim. Oh yeah, it's, that's, it's a, awesome. that's a great bike. Tim well, would kick you your want. ass. No, he will kick my kick ass. Like, I've, I've met no, Tim. He, if he'll... you want, I'm going to be down in uh, North Carolina in a few weeks with my RV hanging out. So <laughs> that's a good a life call. right there. Maybe you can come down there. Just that's out of cool. curiosity, what do you ride? Um, I've got a Giant. Hey, me too. Uh, that I that I ride an anthem, a carbon fiber anthem, yeah, uh, full suspension. Cool. Yeah, I love it. I think, you know, speaking of architecture, because you can see beauty in everything and many things, but architecturally, it's just a uh, you know great setup, a great, great bike, uh, blend, yeah. a great bike of you know from uh, from the components to you know just. Uh, a great overall package. I love the fact, Tim, so, that you can see you can see beauty in so many other uh, manufacturers' products. creations. Yeah, yeah, right. It's I, I can tell yeah. that just listening to you that you're inspired by by other people's works. And, and I get what he's saying. So I have a, a Trance Advanced One, which is uh, their trail bikes: 150 travel front, 140 rear, carbon fiber front triangle, and a uh, aluminum rear triangle. And but the, you have a big old beer belly and ain't it helping you, buddy. Yeah, well, you know, I like beer too. I like mountain biking and beer. So you go ride, then you go have two or three beers. But I got, you know, I got to say is the the way they build the so so the thing about Giant, for those of you who aren't mountain bike fans out there, is Giant builds almost everybody else's frames. And so when they build their own yeah. bike, they save money 
because they build the carbon fiber frames and they upgrade your components. So maybe what's a $5,000 giant bike is really like a $7,500 anybody else's bike. Mm. And uh, the way the trance, it's the most fun bike I've ever driven, I've ever ridden. And with the way they clear coat it and you can see the carbon fiber strands and weaving just peek out in the right light condition, it looks yep. black. But there's times you catch it and you can just really appreciate it. I know, I, I get that that's what Tim's talking about. It's really awesome. Yeah, there's there's that. There's the, you know, this isn't a show about bikes, but we can talk about that. There's <laughs> the engineering piece of it of the through bolts for the front axle, right, to give you the right structure, whether it's a 27 half inch rim or a 29 or whatever. They just seem to really blend that piece of it. Much like we have on the, uh, the Silverado and the Sierra. So we'll... Uh, <laughs> You've gone full circle right See? there. Yeah. See, he's a pro. Yeah. He ties it yeah. right back but, in. But I love, I love that Tim is such an engineer that he can really appreciate what other people are doing. And I'm sure there's products that you see and you'll look at and scratch your chin and go, "No, I wouldn't have done it that way." Right. <laughs> you know, let's talk about weight savings and the 450 pounds of weight savings that we we did on the on the Silverado. You know, that's a test weight class, and that's a that's a that's a big that's a big number you know, how you do that. And you know, you don't want to take a bunch of mass around. Get Nick to bring you by my office sometime and sitting on my off in my office is a, is a section of seat tube that when I did my first Ironman race on my triathlon bike, I, I know you, you also, you've seen me, I'm, I'm not the tallest, so I, I don't use all the seat posts. So I, I took everything off that bike that I absolutely didn't need. And I took the seat post and I saw it off the piece I didn't need. And I put it on my desk to remind me that, you know, optimizing a truck, a bike, whatever you're pushing down the road is important. And then you take as much mass out of it as you can. It's a constant reminder, you know, from a, from a mass and an integration standpoint. So that's a great point. I love the word that you use. You used optimized. And so one of your competitors has an all aluminum truck that they say is 750 pounds. You guys have done, you know, 400, 450 pounds. And I, I like to have this mass discussion with people whenever I can, because I get that you want to lose some mass in your term optimize, because you still want a tough, rugged truck. You still want durability. You still want fuel economy. And there's a place where those intersect. I would almost argue that some of the other trucks that are above 500 pounds of weight loss is almost too much for a truck. And the reason I say that is because when you're towing, the mat, you know, everybody has bigger and bigger and bigger towing numbers. But when you take the mass of the tow rig and you go to a certain level, the trailer starts pushing around the tow rig. So I, I love the idea that you're talking about optimization rather than just cutting mass for the sake of the marketing spin. And I'm kind of curious, was 450 a target? Was trailer ability something that you guys took into account and mass on the tow vehicle? Because I think it's it's always something that should be in the conversation. It's great to do a thing here and a thing here, but if it takes away from the, what the tool is used for its ability, I think it's a detriment to the brand. I agree. Uh, you know, did we come up and say, "Hey, I'm going to save 450 pounds, and you guys, and I'll pay X number of dollars per kilogram. You guys just bring all your ideas." And I'll I'll uh, tell you wh- which ones we're gonna do. It really doesn't go like that. And you know we saw the the 700 pounds and and uh, we're still looking for that truck that they took 700. Pounds <laughs> uh, however, um, you know they're honest people, and I'm sure they did. And so you know we we went with a mixed material strategy. And you know you start with an architecture 
we were always to our competitors lower test weight classes than than both the our crosstown rivals the the gentlemen from Dearborn and those from Auburn Hills and so we've always been below their their test weight class in fact to to the the guys in Dearborn we were always two test weight classes below them by by model they they needed to jump that big to get into our uh, to go below us and so with 450 pounds we can go right into that neighborhood with them and and be within you know spit of of them we you know it's just a a, a great place to be and then to do that uh we used you know we know there's more than one element in the periodic table we used uh, <laughs> as, many as, as we could we combined some of them to make compounds and uh with that then we started with the safety or the cage around the the customer that's steel and that that's important to us it's got seven different grades of steel in our truck and so then we built on, on that then uh the fenders the uh both for the for the box and the front are steel uh our swing metal is uh the, the hood and the the tailgate and the doors are aluminum and so we put the right material in the right spot to get to optimize the word you know i used previously and put it where we need it to then, you know, the 450 was an outcome of a, of a greatly optimized truck. And it wasn't a one thing fits all because the other part of it is we were able to then decompound the whole truck by uh, taking out the, taking out the mass. And we took it from the frame. We took it from the, the uh, unsprung mass, which is, you know, uh, which is the enemy of ride. Yep. We just, we took it out everywhere. And quite frankly, um, I didn't say we we're going to have 450 pounds. I put the, what test weight class are we going to be in? What materials are we going to do? What's our strategy? And then the 450 was kind of an outcome of that. Gotcha. And then I guess last, lastly, you know, we're a for-profit business and those that can do it the best for the least amount of money, you know, aluminum is expensive. Yeah, and um, <laughs> sure, and it so, sure is. We've all read about it. So yeah. yeah, could all those pieces that makes us great, uh, great durability, great customer uh, satisfaction. You know, I was thinking about the customer, and then having a great business a business plan to be able to exploit all of it. 450 pounds is a Sean Holman and a Lightning. Uh, so, <laughs> so we're looking at the uh, the truck savings. But really, Tim, uh, great job on the new truck. We cannot wait to get in it. Um, very excited for you guys and congratulations on on the next generation because this is going to be a truck that's I think pivotal in in GM's history. There's a lot of innovation in it and it's great to to hear you kind of tell us some of the backstories. You know what I, I'm I'm this is lightning I. I'm the guy that's on the verge of getting the bow tie tattoo. Like I used to be a GMC guy, then I converted over. I'm a, I'm a Chevy guy now, and I know that you kind of have an agnostic, you know, position between the two. But I am more enthusiastic about the brand after hearing how how in love with the company you are and how in love with the products you are. It's 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 so obvious. It's like humanizing, right? Because you you think of a Chevy, a GMC, a GM as this big monolithic company with no heart sometimes, right? And then you meet the people behind it, and guys like Tim are out there, and they're passionate, and they love what they do, yeah. and they pour every ounce of what they have because they believe in what they're doing. And I think that says more about the product than any marketing campaign. And it's it's being able to talk to guys like you who are passionate about it is what, what drives Thanks. us and makes us. I'm the, I'm the luckiest man in the world. I've, 
I love my job and uh, I've been trained well. And again, just super lucky to be in this position to help uh, lead a great team with a with a great truck, both the Silverado and the Sierra. You know, it's just something amazing when it comes together that when you started off in criminal justice, you ended up uh, here doing doing this, right? Yeah, which you is weird, right? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not weird at all because uh, you know everybody has their story, and yeah. mine just being the luckiest man in the world and and trained well. It's just it's great when it comes together and feels like that's what. Uh, God put you on earth to do. My friend, we are going to uh, go for a mountain bike ride. You're going to kick my ass, and then we're going to go drink beers. Hey, there's a place down in North Carolina. It's called The Hub, and I'm not putting a plug in for them. But they have a bar. You know, they have a tapper there. So let's let's meet down there. I'd Maybe we to. meet down there. And we, we meet down there with a, a, a Silverado and a Sierra and uh, you know, maybe I'll get the park rangers to see if they can open up a few of those fire roads for us. And now we're talking. You guys ride, and I'll meet you there for beers. <laughs> yeah, there that's how go. it's gonna work. All right, perfect. Tim, All right. Hey, hey guys, Sean. <laughs> yep. Uh, I thought it was Jay, but I guess it's lightning. lightning. Whatever, whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever need me back, you just uh, pick up the phone and uh, well, and uh, you've I'd got tw- to talk to you've you. got 2020 heavy duties coming up soon, so we will definitely have you back on because there's a ton of people excited about the heavy duty version of the T1. So we do. I we're not talking about any future product programs. <laughs> I saw the okay, fo- I saw the teaser. Uh, we have the teaser. Don't on make him hang up. I don't want to end it like this. I don't okay, want to hang right, it up right. on us. Right? right? You end it, Lightning. Okay, you end okay. it. He's <laughs> the man, Tim Herrick, Executive Chief Engineer, Next Generation Full Size Pickup Trucks and SUVs at General Motors. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. All right. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. Bye. Take care, guys. Hope to see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Those are the types of guests that we're going to keep bringing you guys. Huge. Huge to have a guy like that on and and really humanize the truck process at General Motors because we know we have a ton of GM fans out there, whether it's GMC or Chevy, and, and to be able to hear the passion that the guy running that program has and I've met people work for him. It's the same thing all the way through. Very cool. I'm, I'm super happy we were able to have him on. Yeah. Hello? Jordan, Lightning, and Holman from the Truck Show Podcast. How you doing? What's up, man? What's going on, guys? How are y'all doing tonight? We are great now that you're on the phone. We're excited to talk to you. But before we can get into it, we have a little intro for you. Here we go. It's a little wear chat. Yep. Where is that? I've got four chrome rims and a steering wheel. I've got four chrome rims and a steering wheel. I've got four chrome rims and a steering wheel. <laughs> See, because where is that? Because the event, where where is it at? What are we talking about? Daytona, I Daytona. guess, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so Jordan is the founder of Daytona Truck Meet at the Daytona, Daytona International Speedway, June 1st through 3rd, and Jordan... This thing has grown out of control. It's like hashtag SEMA of the South. Dude. Yeah, man. You're you're telling Dude. me the show has grown so big and it's only taken, you know, it's really only been fully organized and orchestrated the last two years. But before that, you know, we started it through Instagram just, you know, five years ago. A couple of Instagram pages decided to oh let's go to the beach, you know, get some trucks out there and it's gone from that to from 500 trucks to now we're talking about 15,000 trucks. Man. <laughs> <laughs> what? Whoa. Okay, well, before we get into 15,000 trucks, oh which is stupid, um, take us back to year one. What year was it? And and you said it got started on Instagram, but was it just you and a couple guys, or how did that go down? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so 
a couple of buddies of mine, we all run uh, just some smaller Instagram pages and uh, decided we wanted to do a beach day in, on Daytona down there. It's one of the very unique places where you can drive on the beach. So we thought, what would be better than having trucks on the beach, everybody getting together, hanging out, having a good time. Like I said, five years ago, and uh, it was just a one-day event, you know, just a meetup type deal. But uh, we got rained out that day, and we ended up taking it to a parking lot and having a little fun. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I got to say, man, I think, you know, it went viral from there and just kept building and building. And the, the second year, I, I wanted to do a little more organized, and I got Volusia County in on it with the beach safety, pulling permits and getting insurance and all that stuff, and, you know, doing it the right way. And uh, it went so good that we overcrowded the beach, shut the beach down, oh shut the roads down. I-95 got back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, we had to clean up our act and uh, really get things going. So, well, 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 hold on. Well, Jordan, Jordan, what was going on? Because I've seen a lot of videos. So I did a little bit of homework, not because I love TNA, but because. <laughs> but if you did. But if I did, there was a lot of it on that beach that day. So how did, did, did anyone get busted? I mean, you're not, you didn't do any jail time or anything. So you well, just he didn't. I want to know how many people went to the pokey on the first show, or on the, that first big show. <laughs> uh, you know, it's hard to say. I will say there were some people that were, you know, taken care of on their own way. But you know, we've grown from there. We've we've worked our way back. Um, I'd, I'd say you know everybody wants to have a little fun here and there. You just got to be smart about it. You know, you know, don't be stupid. That's that's the simple, plain thing there. The beaches are very, very different here in Southern California where we are, which is you can't even go out uh, wearing the wrong thing, let alone take your car onto the beach. Unless you, you want know? to pay thousands of dollars for a, some weird photo permit that you have an hour at sunset or something. Right? I mean, like, there, you don't drive on the beach here. There is Pismo Beach, what? which is a little different. Yeah, like, that's yeah. four or five hours north of here, too, though. I mean, like where we are in SoCal... You don't drive on the beach. Absolutely not. Done. Absolutely not. So, so Jordan, culturally, it's totally different. And so you get this thing going. It's a couple of years in. It's growing out of control. Are you – so you're trying to grow with this thing, this Daytona truck meet, like a businessman. How do I wrap my arms around this and, A, not go to jail, B, make some money, and, and have it be fun for everyone? Like, how do you even figure this thing out as it's growing so fast? Well, I'll tell you this. It's definitely – it is a good, it's a good business, but for me, it's not about making money. I like seeing everybody out there having a good time, having fun. That's what I'm in it for. I, I could care less about the money. When you're running out convention centers and stuff like that, it does take money to do that kind of stuff. So I'm blessed to, you know, be in this life and doing what, what I'm doing in a very short amount of time. So, you know, a lot of people have been doing this stuff for, you know, years and years and years, and I'm just, you know, popping up on the scene and, I'm just having a good time with it, man. I'm I'm blessed, and I'm just uh, thankful for what I have. And Jordan, you're a real enthusiast. You built a, a SEMA truck before, correct? You... Correct. Yes, my uh, 2014 F250. I took it to SEMA last year, and I'm I'm taking it back again this year for SEMA 2018 as well with uh, Marvel Coatings. And and so tell us about this year's event uh, again, June 1st through 3rd at the Daytona International Speedway in the infield, right? So you're doing it in the middle of the track. Um, Correct, what, yeah. what, what are the dates? What does it cost people? Is it too late if you've got a truck and you're in the Southeast, if you want to be part of this? No, you're not too late. As long as uh, registration closes down um, online April 30th. But right now we've got regular show registration. It's $50 a truck. You register before April 30th. You're in there. 
if you uh, don't make the deadline, then uh, you can just get your registration day of the show, which does go up to $75 day of. But, hey, you're in there. You're having a good time. It's a free-to-come-and-go event. Unlike most events, you know, everything has to be stationary and staying. No, we want it free to come and go. If you want to hang out, you know, in the infield on Saturday from noon to 2 o'clock and then take your truck out and then you go somewhere down or go hang out at the beach, you're more than welcome to. That's amazing. That does not exist on the so, West Coast. Yeah, so it is uh, locked down out here. Dude, like yeah. the dub yeah, show. What are you guys doing in California, man? I'm Get telling you, it stinks. Hey, compared you got to have a couple <laughs> sane people left here. So that's uh, that's our job. I see on your website, which is uh, DaytonaTruckMeet.com, that you guys uh, also have spectator tickets. So if you don't have a truck, but you want to come with your family and check out everything going on. You guys have a, a ability for people to come in and, and, and be a part of the action, even if they don't have a truck to show at the show. Did I say Correct, show at the show? Yeah. I said show at the show, <laughs> yeah, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I wasn't going to correct you, but no, you I, called yourself There was out. an awkward. It was, I got it. I got it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. If you if you don't have a truck, you know, that's you know show-worthy, so to speak. If you want to just, you know, if you bring in your, your minivan or your, your car, we got a spectator parking lot out by uh, turn four out of the speedway. And you can actually park your car outside the speedway, buy your ticket, and walk through the tunnel that goes under the speedway and into the infield of the track. So let's talk about that for a minute. You said not show worthy, but what's what's show worthy anymore, well, right? Hold on a second. No, no, and, not, you know, I want to that, know. That's quote unquote. Okay. You know, it's, it's show worthy to your own eyes. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> no, uh, well, have you, have, Jordan, have you refused some beaters? Let's be honest. No, no. I, I'm a guy. I if you love it, then that's what it, that's that's all that matters. That's cool. If you love what you built. That's all that matters. I want to talk about since you brought that up. There's a difference of East Coast and West Coast. The big you, you're talking 20 inch lifts with rubber band tires. All right, so low profile tires on 24, 26, 30s. So American Force wheels. A lot of <laughs> a lot of bling. And that doesn't really exist on the West Coast. Here, it's still off-road. Function. B- function. Yeah. Big, big sidewalls. Really, really right. uh, uh, capable suspensions, things like that. How does that happen? Like, where did that come from? You know, low-profile tires on 26s. Is that the donks? Like, where did that... You know, I think it equates to one thing, and it equates to girls. And girls like looking at trucks that look fancy as so uh yeah out here it's definitely you know it's it's its own kind of category i should say and uh we like to snap necks what what uh, do you what do you call them out there because us the joke is you know bro dozers right like that's uh that's sort of what the west coast guys call what do the east coast guys refer to no i don't think wait wait a second you're saying that the west coast trucks are bro dozers no i'm saying the west coast scene calls them bro dozers (laughs) i don't think they 100 no they don't 100 no they don't who's the journalist who talks to all these people bro dozers is no that's like that's no your truck is a bro dozer lightning no it is it is it is. Oh, hurts. Ah, I know it hurts, but I'm just telling you, it's a brodozer. <laughs> so Jordan, uh, weigh in. I would say, I would say, out here, it's the mall crawling. Mall crawler. Okay, I prefer That's that. Our style. Yeah, yeah. We like to, you know, we drive around the mall and we snap the necks of the girls that are out there trying <laughs> to look good. And so, how old do you have to uh, be? What's the maximum age for snapping girls' necks uh, in your brodozer? Your mall crawler, by in the way. In your mall crawler. Well, see, yeah. out here, mall crawlers are jeeps that are blinged out, right? Oh, I see. And the big trucks are brodozers on the west coast. We're on the east coast. The mall crawler is the big <laughs> truck. But anyway, so are there fifty-year-old dudes out there trying to uh, snap necks of uh, some hot chicks, or is there a is there a, just like a height limit at Disneyland for Space Mountain? 
mountain. There's, that's, <laughs> you guys Listen, have a limit. Out here, we got uh, we can go as low as 0% tent on the window, so it don't matter how old you look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well played, sir. I well got to, to move to Florida. I'm telling you. <laughs> Is it a good time like, you know, Showfest? was in Mississippi and back in the day back in the day or like uh heat wave was back in the day or have you guys so far surpassed that those types of shows that they were huge right i mean that was stuff that 15 years ago that those were the places you went but now it sounds like your show has be you know has become that place the go to place of the SEMA of the south hashtag uh, I, mean, that's I, got, I didn't make that up it's the location if anything you know people you know you hear Daytona you know exactly where it is you know what goes on there. Every it's a destination place. So, and it sounds like you guys have a bunch of different events going on. You you guys give out trophies. You have a burnout contest and a pre party too. So, do you guys? Let's be honest. Do you really need to pregame for the game? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we pre party before the party every time. That reminds me when I first started working at Truck and Magazine back in the early two thousands. I was covering um, Showfest in Greenville, Mississippi, which basically is this little town not too far from the Mississippi River. Um, and the closest town is like 20 miles away. And this town's like three you know, miles long. It had like a Kmart, a Sonic, a gas station. People for three miles would line the street five or six deep, and then everybody would just cruise. They'd be scraping bots dots off the roads. The cops would pull people over for drinking and take pictures with the girlfriend in the truck <laughs> and then hand the beer back. Dude, I, I, my, my favorite story, though, is I've got my trucking shirt on, right? And I'm out there shooting, and this black Silverado lifted up, pulls up next to me. They go, dude, you from Trucking Magazine? I'm like, yeah. They're like, hop in. Down the side of the truck said, girls gone wild. Oh, no. Oh. I, I hop in the bed of the truck. Yeah. And I, you hopped in the right truck. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I have never seen more anything in my entire life yeah. than we were in that truck. So I cruise with them from one end of town to the back, the other end. We do the U-turn and come out, and I'm like, all right, I got to get back to work. Yeah. You know, beer keg in the back of the truck. We're beer bonging in the back of the truck. So the guy, one of the dudes in the back is like, you're really from trucking? I said, yeah, man. He goes, cool, that's awesome. Well, you ride with us any time. I go, all right, I'll look for you. You're easy to spot. He goes, you guys really from Girls Gone Wild? He goes, no, my buddy owns a sign shop. <laughs> oh, no. That was, I partied in Havasu on a houseboat with the, with the actual Did crew. you? Yes. I can't tell you any stories of that. Well, my wife can't hear this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I will tell you that it was every bit as legit as what you went through. Oh, really? Guaranteed. Yeah. yeah no, this is crazy. This back is, in the day. This is jail-worthy stuff for yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I'm in the same boat. Well, Jordan- hey, You only live once, right? Yeah. <laughs> YOLO! It's true. Hashtag YOLO! <laughs> Jordan, the founder of Daytona Truck Meet, DaytonaTruckMeet.com. If you want to show your truck, you're in that area. It's June 1st through 3rd, Daytona International Speedway. 15,000 trucks? Like, seriously? Dude. That's what you're expecting? That's that's what we're planning for. Yeah. it's it's uh, I mean, hell, we've got over 100 guys driving down from Canada. Oh, oh my, my wow. What? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was at Lone Star Throwdown, and there were guys coming from California, from Washington, and stuff. But this is this is topping that, and and the wet, you got the weather going in your favor, obviously. Well, I mean, it's Florida. Out, out here in Florida, it's guaranteed to rain at least once every two or three days, but it's only going to be for about five ten minutes. It's going to be a torrential downpour. It's going to be like a little mini hurricane, and then it's out of here, and you're good to go. You just bring your chamois. Dude, that is the yep. wake you up out of your stupor. Oh, rain, I'm awake. Back to go, Going back to partying now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, Jordan, yeah. congratulations on the success of this thing. Um, I think Thank we're probably going to have to do a podcast from, uh, I don't know if we'll make it this year, but we we're gotta definitely going to be out there out, yeah. for sure, for I sure. I think you guys need to come this year, man. Make it happen. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll check the budget, the Truck Show podcast budget. <laughs> we need some uh, of your sponsors. That's yeah. what we need. <laughs> yeah, we're working on that. <laughs> All right, Jordan, you're the man. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate right. it, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. DaytonaTruckMeet.com. We've got it. I think that Eric is our first in-studio guest here in our Santa Ana, California uh, truck show podcast studio. We are literally in the bowels of a Santa Ana industrial park in a warehouse that has a two-by-four office building built inside of it that is a nondescript <laughs> building. You would never find how hard wrapped was it in to, moving blankets, right? Yeah, we're wrapped in moving blankets. So, so Eric, how hard was it to figure out where the hell we uh, we do our? Uh, it was podcast? pretty easy because I was just was told just to look for the Mini Cooper in the front. So. Oh, oh, yeah. I saw it off the street. Yeah. By the I'm way, familiar yeah, with the area because Amp mine. is yeah, just down the street. The corner, so. Well, to to be honest, uh, I'm the one who's driving the pickup truck. So you the, saw the Raptor. the Raptor. I don't know what the Mini Cooper guy is all about, <laughs> but uh. <laughs> I drive a lifted truck and a lowered Mini Cooper. Uh, yeah, I'll admit it. I'll so, admit it. I, so uh, do you want to? We should go into what happened to your Mini Cooper today. No, we're not going to talk about that. No, that's missing a mirror, and I'm not going to explain that. why. And it was a truck guy at the hands of a truck guy. I'm too. not going to talk about that. <laughs> Eric is here. Welcome to the parts department. Screw, nut, filter, oil, grill, tools, wheels, tires, brakes, lights, gears, belts. And your wife warns you not to. Don't you spend our money. And then you'll want to come back. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in studio with us is Eric Baja, engineering supervisor at AMP research and you guys all know amp research because they make the steps on your truck eric welcome welcome thank you Welcome. Thanks for coming. See you later. Yeah, all right. Never, so uh, I'm, I'm still stunned that we are in studio and I get to look at somebody other than you. Know, There's right? another human being. <laughs> Although I will also point out the downside of that is hot as balls in here right it now. It is a little warm. Well, if you turn on the air conditioning, Eric, you can hear it. You so hear it. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we even had to disable the alarm system because it had a little tiny fan on it over the corner. Yeah, that we could hear. You see the cardboard box yeah. in the room? It's, it's covering up the little like hard drive. This is a, a very high caliber uh, <laughs> setup here. <laughs> so, Eric, uh, you and I have known each other for how many years now we started it's building been about trucks five today? six years maybe when okay. you first got the dually the rock crusher no it was bone that. stock before that for some reason no it was completely stock it was a f- one of the first add-ons you had it had stock wheels on it pre-black yeah. interior too right because nothing have a the yeah, tan the interior. interior yeah yeah, yeah. the thing was uh, it wasn't ugly it was just not my cup of tea so I had to radically transform that thing. So. Now with 100% more brodozer. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know what? Whatever. I'm cool in Florida. Yeah, you are. <laughs> How did you get started at Amp Research, Eric? Uh, I've been there for about eight years, and uh, I started out as just a product development engineer and sort of worked my way up to now engineering supervisor. Started designing product. and I mean, were you in school doing CAD? or? So I started out at, I went to Cal Poly Pomona, got an engineering degree. Which, by the way, for those who aren't from the SoCal area, Cal Poly Pomona is here in the uh, general LA basin, basically, and it's very uh, known for being a, a high-quality engineering school. And it's yeah. a very hands-on oriented type yep. of school. So graduated from there. I was part of the SAE Mini Baja, so... Senior project for engineering, you have to build or how come up rad with a is that? So that's your senior project is you're going to go build something for Baja. Baja, yeah. So yeah, right. <laughs> we basically built a one seater car that had a spec you had to follow. Uh, we competed against uh, 150 to 200 different schools. Wow. Throughout the United States, 
there were some schools that came from Mexico and Canada, and we competed in uh, Utah, and we placed 13th. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So that's respectable. It's a pretty oh, cool absolutely. program where you have to have a marketing plan for the car, um, design plan. Did you guys finish the race? Yeah, we finished so, the race. So honestly, then the Baja thing, the, the, the one, two, three is cool. But for anybody who's a first-time Baja, so for those of you who are listening that have never done, finishing, the, the race is so grueling and so brutal that you have mad respect from anybody in the industry by just finishing the race. So a lot of times, there's stickers or plaques that say Baja finisher, and that carries as much weight as anything. The fact that you went out there and did it. So I mean, yeah. mad props to you that- uh, Yeah, it's not the real Baja, but- But it's still that it's, environment. Yeah. But they put you know 12-inch diameter logs across the track and awesome. expect you to go over it and- it was awesome. It was a so, four-hour so endurance So it was course. a single-seater. So who wins that? Like, who gets to drive it? Um, so we have, there was two or three seniors on the team, and then the rest of the guys were kind of under, you know, beginning students that wanted to help out. So they kind of just helped on the event side, but then the seniors that were doing it for their project, we kind of split it up. And there was events. The first day was more or less a sales and marketing day. The next day, we, we did like a hill climb. There's an endurance area where you had like a slalom course. Uh, there's a braking section, and then the last day was a four-hour endurance course. So the, I got to drive the first two hours of it, and then the other senior oh drove God. the last part of it. <laughs> so how, if, how anybody, if anybody was going to break it, it was going to be you. Yeah, and it was on a rock quarry. It was snowing and raining. <laughs> and how long was, were each lap? Uh, it's about three miles. Oh, my God. So, that, I mean, that's yeah. that's significant. That's yeah. that's huge. And we were limited to a 10-horsepower Briggs & Stratton motor, and we ran, you know, we modified a V-dub differential. We sealed it up, and you know, made it work because all the other stuff that was available was just, you know, cheap go-kart stuff that couldn't hold up to rock, rock quarries yeah, and, this and exactly. logs. And yeah, and this is pre-Harbor Freight yeah. Motors, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, before I graduated, I started an internship at AFE uh, designing intakes. And actually, I started out doing air filters, like just a stock replacement air filter. And within a couple months, they saw that I had hands-on fabrication ability. And that was kind of when the intakes were starting to take off yeah. back in 2002, 2003. Huge. And I immediately got put in that department and just kind of excelled and went from just an intern to an engineer within a year. And then within six months to a year after that, I, I turned into a project manager and I was managing my own projects. I had a couple guys under me and I was there for about seven, eight years. And then it was my first job out of college. So I kind of felt like I had to move on and kind of learn new things. So AMP was offering a position for an engineering Um design engineer and I just kind of started there and worked my way up and it's been you know it's awesome so at the time that you uh, that you went to amp the power steps that everybody knows and and loves that was already in the product pipeline so is yeah. your job to adapt those to the new models and come yeah, up with new so SKUs and things like that a lot of people don't realize that every single power step is specific to the vehicle right. cuz you got rocker panel versus frame clearance mm-hmm. every curvature of the body yeah curvature of the body length of the board um, and your and boards you, are extruded aluminum too, right? Like yeah. it's it's really nice extruded high aluminum, material. Um, yeah. Our linkages are either die cast or they're some of them are extruded also. Just depends on the volumes we think we're going to have. So if it's going to be a high volume runner, we're going to obviously spend the money and do a die cast. Um, if we think it's going to be a slow mover, but it it's needed in the marketplace, we'll just you know obviously offer. You know, the parts cost more to us, but, you know, it's cheaper investment on our part. I've been over to your office quite a few times, and the first time I went over there, he gave me the full tour, and he was at his desk, the, the high desk with wrapped around screens, looks like NASA, and he's got CAD or SolidWorks, whatever yeah, you're SolidWorks. working at, SolidWorks. Yeah. And he's, and I'm, and I'm looking at going, 
I probably shouldn't be seeing this product that you're working on, but I knew it was well in advance. And it's just, it's neat to know that there is a guy in Southern California making this that I will eventually buy at four wheel parts or somewhere else and put on my truck. And it's not all made overseas somewhere, or it's designed by a guy who's just like some of our other guests. They're passionate about what they do. And look at his hands. He's got man hands. Like, I mean, yeah. there's grease. I got there's cuts. A, he's got cuts. Like he he's <laughs> legit. He's in the shop. So He's not only designing it, you know, he's not a, a suit and tie kind of guy. He's like, he was behind the computer and he's like, let's go out into the shop. I'm going to show you how we make this stuff. And it was pretty interesting. And the history of the company, was it mountain bike or motorcycle Yeah, so parts? Horst in the early 90s started out, he basically created the first full suspension mountain bike. Yep. Um, what was his name? Horst Leitner. Okay. Um, and before that, he started ATK Motorcycles, which is still around. Um, I think it was absorbed by KTM, but... He started that company and then transitioned. He sold that off and transitioned into the mountain bike stuff. Um, and then he was a motocross racer. So he raced on the weekends at the local tracks like Glen Halen and Carlsbad and Saddleback. One day, him and Jody Weitzel, which is the editor for Motocross Action, were driving down, I think, to Carlsbad, from what I remember. They lost their gear bag out of the back of the truck. Well, that day, they designed a bed extender on a napkin at Carl's Jr. And... That's kind of when he started transitioning into the automotive industry and eventually sold off all the patents to Specialize. And now I believe some of their bikes still incorporate the patents that he had created. And what's interesting is that was really the first product to take off was the bed extender. And bed extenders, I I remember when they first started coming out, probably late 90s, maybe early 2000s, and then made it into the OE world. And you guys have had a string of successful products. Not only have the power step transition to the OE world, but also your corner bed steps that kind of help you get up in the tailgate. I mean, that's that's the level. It seems like AMP Research from all the years that I've known the company, you guys have always designed something with that OE durability and functionality and quality of part in mind. Yeah, and we do offer a full line of OE parts also. I mean, Toyota, all the bed extenders are all ours. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of them are ours except for the Ford. Yeah. Um, but we actually license the patent to them, so we get a royalty off of that. Um, but another product you guys probably don't know about is the Jeep Wrangler uh, fuel doors. Oh, yeah, the one that's that says right. Jeep on yeah. it, that's made by us. That's um, right. We got the JL program, so no all the Rubicons, um, all the JL diesels that are coming out are going to have our fuel door on it. Um, the JT, which is a yep. truck that's going to come out yep. eventually. Scrambler. And then, so what part are you most proud of designing that you now see on either aftermarket or, or OE? Since I've been there, I've designed all sorts of different products, like the Bed Step 2, which is a side bed step. Yeah. For which I cannot live without. By no, those the way. things are awesome. Access. It, so I was kind of influential on that. Um, especially with the uh, newer trucks have higher bedside. So it's a lot, you know, yeah. taller, bigger wheel and tire packages. They sit up higher, have a higher bedside. It's a lot harder these days to get into it than it was in like your 89 yeah, Tacoma you know, stock or truck. Like, or, you know, Toyota truck or whatever. Yeah, for right. instance, like I have a buddy that had an older 98 Chevy, drove, drove it till the wheels fell off, and he's like, okay, I'm going to buy a new truck. He buys a new 2500 HD. And before he bought the truck, he's like, why would you even need a power step? Why would you need a bed step? I don't need that. And then he buys a new truck. He's like, man, these new trucks are a lot higher. And, yeah. and he's he's kind of a shorter guy. He was calling me up. Second week he had the truck. He's like, hey, That's I need awesome. some product. So Very cool. It's, so it, it, something like that, was that designed because someone in the office or you said this is clearly needed? Or like, um, how did that happen? The bed ha- step one, was, which is out in the back corner of the bumper, that was designed before I was there. Uh, obviously, since I've been there, I've kind of come up with all the different applications, you know, rolling down the road. But the bed step two, Anthony and I kind of worked alongside each other and kind of came up with a solution to try to make it work because 
every bed is different and the frames are different for the bed and wheelbase length. So we try to commonize it and we also try to make it to where it fits on the driver's side and passenger side. Yeah. So the guy's not buying two part numbers. The warehouses don't have to stock two numbers. So everything is mirrorable. So we always have to keep that in mind. Like on the 2019 Silverado, I'm working on it right now. Um, I've gone through two or three different renditions of making sure it works on both sides. Um, so what are the challenges? Obviously, every truck's different, and every manufacturer is different in how they build their trucks, right? You guys you know, mount to the body, um, yeah, typically. So, so like then power pi- steps will mount off the body, typically. Yep. Some of them, they mount off the frame. Bed step twos, which is up on the side, those typically mount to the bed. But then we also tie into the frame too to kind of yeah. stiffen it because that's because the bed doesn't have as much structure. Say the pinch yeah. weld on the side yeah. of the you know under the ABC. Yeah, you know, exactly. Pillars. And also the bed is pretty much solid mounted to the frame, so you can kind of tie it together. Right. But like a power step, you can't mount to the body and the frame no. because obviously you'll tear. Be, yeah. Things are going to tear apart. Yeah. So we got to keep that in mind, and um, we also do specific load testing. So our power steps, we've taken them up to twelve hundred pounds. Wow. Like a benchmark that we want to have. That's for like every five and a product. half lightning and Holmans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how we weigh everything. We put yeah, everything, everything in context. Yeah, so yeah. Like <laughs> we we obviously want to see how much deflection you see yep. when a normal two hundred or three hundred pound person gets on the step. We don't want the thing to feel like it's a sponge. You know, we want it to feel solid and and display our product like it's legit. So something interesting to me now being in the industry is that people guys are buying new trucks. And they want to hook a, they want to connect something to, through the OBD2 port. Yes. And they want to, whether it's an Edge product or it's, it's, it's a Banks product or whatever it is, and they, it's a monitoring device. And they make that decision now based on, will it screw up my access to my AMP research so steps? Because we, you guys now connect through the yeah. OBD2 port oh. to activate. So when they open the doors or the dome light, whatever is activated, whatever signal is it, yeah, tw- so, 12 volts? Yeah, so basically we're using the OBD2 port to power it, but then we're reading codes that the door signals send to the BCM. So we're, re- we're pulling codes out of the BCM to convert it to a ground, no ground signal to activate our steps. It used to be... Like a momentary switch or a little yeah. push button back in the day. Right. Amazing the technology yeah. just to deploy. Yeah, so it your started steps. with a momentary switch in the beginning, but yep. they quickly realized that they don't last very long. Sure. So then they started. Would you say they only wiring. last momentarily? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So after that, we have actually, I have a whole shelf full of books that's actually wiring diagrams for every single vehicle and it's year specific. So we used to go and figure out the door color wire and the location. And, and then they changed mid-year those. a lot, too. Like Ford's notorious yeah. for that. I remember, oh, yeah. like, the, I think it was the uh, the six-liter Power Stroke era. So that would have been, like, an 06, 07, 08, somewhere in there. Super Duty. And then mid, you know, they didn't have the same door signal wires as yeah, the earlier like trucks. 02, 03, they changed the logic, so it was backwards. Backwards, right. That's yeah. right, because oh. used to, you'd close the door. A, and they would deploy, and you'd open the door, and they'd yeah. go up. Because I remember so we, we did come a, up with a different style. Controller we did an install. To make that work. Yeah, yeah, we did an install in the magazine, and we're like, "Hey guys, um, it's backwards. We, we followed the wire, and they're like, <laughs> you know, um, I, I wait, think. Wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me, let me finish that thought though. But I, I, I wanted to say how the people are basing their purchasing decisions on on having your steps or not. Like that's what I'm trying to tell you. Like yeah. in, in in the chain of command, you guys are you well, you're commanding right first placement. So it's like I'm, I'm I buy my new truck. It's an immediate need for them yeah. to get in and out of their vehicle and their wives and kids. Yeah, right, exactly. But I find that interesting. That's a, you you've carved out a uh, a really special place in the market that 
The other guys just have to play second fiddle to your product. Well, there's there's yeah. other products out there that are similar. The quality is nowhere near what you guys do. I and know. I think that's ever. I think people kind of know that, but if they're on, yeah. they're really budget conscious. The, they'll bo- they'll go and buy a competitor. But I think it's kind of isn't it widely known that you either buy an amp or you don't. Well, com- one of the competitors actually came through the birth of an agreement that didn't really work out, and then that competitor went and took their manufacturing overseas. Mm. And I've had experience with both the amp research and the competitor product. And the amp research, you throw them on, you never have a problem. I've had the competitor where you're replacing motors, you're replacing lights, you're replacing anything electronic on it. Yep, and and exactly. it's one of those things where you spend a little bit more money and get the higher quality. Don't don't cut corners. Um, yeah, and the local shops, like from what I've heard, is they don't want to install it anymore because every time the truck comes back for a warranty issue, they're not getting paid. Right. So why would they want to? Why would they want to push the product like that? Yeah. And. Uh, also, another thing on that plug-and-play, we have a splitter plug, so you could still have an open port. So, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know about that. No, but they don't. I can tell you firsthand yeah. that they don't They don't know about yeah, that. So, so we, we offer that, too. Amp Research. Is it amp-research.com? Amp-research.com. Do you guys uh, have the button now where you can deploy the steps independently yes. of the door being so open? Yes, so we have an override switch. Yes, okay. Um, but it doesn't totally override it. It only overrides it for 30 minutes. The reason being yeah. is... We don't want the guy to lock the step in the up position, and then an hour down the road, he gets out of the vehicle, and then, oh, there's no step, and the guy falls and hurts himself. So it's more of a liability thing. Well, let's be honest. The reason the override uh, switch exists is because those of us who like to go off-roading, there's nothing worse than... You go to the paint spray when you get back from the mud hole. Yeah, and you got to and you have to leave the door open to clean Uh, off your steps, right? So yeah, so that product is geared mainly for the Jeep guys. Yeah, um, because when you remove the doors. The door triggers don't work, right. so override switch allows you to kind of have that. And we also have the power step extreme too, where there's a motor for every linkage for the guys in the mud and snow and yeah. extreme environments. You've got your work cut out for you, man. Yeah, we're we're slammed. And you're about to get busier, right? Because we've yeah. got 2019 Silverados, we uh, got the and GMC the Sierras, we've got the new Ram, right. we've got the, the new JL, uh, the J, JT JL. Uh, you got Ranger coming out. I mean, dude. It's and this guy's aggressive, by the way. Eric's blowing me up when he heard me talking about your when you had the uh, the Ram fifteen. Oh yeah. Oh, He's yeah. like, can I get my hands on the thing? I need. To, <laughs> can I get it for a measuring session? I'm like, dude, cool your jets. We'll get you on that thing. It's like he's he's out for. A, he's we found another one though. We're good. <laughs> you did. You yeah. found one. Okay. But the local right, dealership good. in Tustin over here has, so, has a couple. Yeah. So uh, when I had that, it was three or four weeks before the first shipments hit the uh, SoCal dealerships. So I went and trolled the dealership with it. <laughs> he did. He rolled nice. through the dealership going, did. hey, look at me. <laughs> like, yeah. It was funny to see all the salesmen, their eyes just light up like, holy crap, who's that? Why does he have that truck? <laughs> see, and you bust me for having a mall crawler, and that's what you were doing. You were going, you were trolling the freaking dealerships. <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't trolling the dealership <laughs> in a mall crawler. Nah, you're still, that's douchey. Come on now, you're just trying to get attention. Well, oh. Eric, I, either you have something on your truck, or you will be putting one of his steps on your truck very soon. You're the man. Thank you very much thank for you. Uh, yeah, carving out the time thanks for Thanks for uh, breaking Appreciate our it. studio, and, and thanks for being our first official guest to sit on the casting couch. Yeah, I can't. Should speak. we get a picture of him sitting on it? I I don't think we should s- subject him to the couch again. Uh, you, do you think he needs? Yeah, you might need a, a lint roller or something <laughs> more, a bleach roller. No, I think he's going to need like some type of a, a spray down. <laughs> we call the hazmat team My over. Soul. Yeah, I can't speak for you, but this is lightning, and I'm exhausted. That was an amazing show. Uh, I feel like. We promised in episode that one that we would have minimal suckage, or at least we would try to reduce suckage. And I think this one had the least amount. This was like maybe only 
five to seven percent sucky. Dude, that was a marathon. <laughs> I mean, but but we promised everybody in our last episode that we were doing a killer show. And I yes. think we delivered. I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. So, you guys, if, if you agree, hit us at Truck Show Podcast, at Truck Show Podcast, or hit us with an email, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Sing it with us. Come on now. The Truck Show, the Truck Show, the Truck Show. Whoa, whoa. Uh. Mm. Uh. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I can't. It's my favorite outro. I can't decide if I want to celebrate with uh, a beer or like a chocolate shake. Chocolate shake. Dude, chocolate I, shake, right? Dude, you've got a chocolate shake body. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have beer body too. <laughs> I, are they kind of the Isn't same? Isn't that nice? <laughs> I was going to say, you could go either way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>